and welcome to Biblical Tapestry, Season 6, Episode 27, A Study in the Book of Jeremiah. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. In this episode, we are presenting Jeremiah chapter 14, which is composed of several sections, but all of them are related to the coming catastrophes that will not be averted. Judah and Jerusalem are becoming are beginning to feel the very sharp sting of sin's consequences. Because of the length of this passage, we will not be reading the entire chapter first. So let's begin back in verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 14. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish, her people lament on the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. At this time in chapter 14, Judah is experiencing a very severe drought. This is an agrarian society, and if the rain does not fall at the appropriate time, the results are devastating. Notice the language in these verses describing the conditions under the ongoing drought. There's mourning, languishing, lamenting. There's crying out. This is a significant disaster. Crops are failing and wells are drying up. Drought was one of the punishments for failure to follow the terms of their covenant with God. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 22. This was their covenant. But it says here in verse 22, The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now that was part of the covenant that they took if they failed to follow God's laws. So judgment is now coming to Judah. Verse 3 and 4. Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns. They find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads because of the ground that is dismayed since there is no rain on the land. The farmers are ashamed and they cover their heads. Well, the nobles are also being affected because they sent their servants to retrieve water, and it wasn't there. And these were coming from man-built cisterns that were lined with plaster that collected rainwater, and it stored it, but they were all running dry. And for the servants to cover their heads was a customary gesture to show grief or confusion. And farmers were looking at the land with dismay as the land was too dry to plant or grow anything. The ground had cracked as it had shrank from lack of moisture, something most of us have seen. And the nation that depended on water was grieving. Verse 5 and 6. Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. Well, nothing or no one is exempt from the drought, as it is affecting nobles, servants, farmers, and animals. A doe normally is a very devoted caregiver to the fawn, but now leaves the fawn to die, as there is no grass. 
Now, the donkeys were known to be good at surviving the harsh desert climates, and they could find grass anywhere. But the donkeys could not find grass. Their eyes began to glass over, now in either death or weakness. Judah had been happy to continue in the depravity, lust, and rejection of God, but now they're experiencing a real drought, not a metaphor. They had wilting crops, their livestock were dying, and the future that Judah had always confidently spoken about back to Jeremiah was no longer bright. Now when things get bad, after centuries of warning and calling for repentance, some are thinking about, well, maybe we return to God now. In verse 7 we read, Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O you, hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Well, the question in this verse is who is speaking? Was it the people? Was it Jeremiah interceding for the people? Was he using the people's words? It appears that Jeremiah is the one interceding here because God responds directly back to him. Now, Jeremiah may be using the words of the people, pleading with God for relief. The one that God spoke through about the coming judgment still sympathizes with his people. And to act for the namesake of God recalls how God has been Israel's deliverer in past. It implies that he must act again. Well, Jeremiah knows the actions of the people will lead to judgment. But I guess for Jeremiah, certainly it is, the judgment is hard to watch. It's not that the salvation of the people now will save God's reputation, but it was now necessary to punish Judah exactly to save God's reputation and his name. Jeremiah had repeatedly pled with Judah to return to God. God had called them to repentance through Jeremiah. What is different now is this confession is not so much from a broken heart, but an inconvenienced one. It seems like Jeremiah and the words of the people is accusatory, that God is acting like a stranger to them, that he can respond to fix their pain, that he's not doing so, he's choosing to ignore them. But it's Judah that made themselves a stranger to God. God is the one that made the covenant with them. God is the one who owns the land. God is the one that brought them here to live in it. The words were so harsh in verse 9 that these do not seem to be the words of Jeremiah, but an echo of the people's accusations. Now they assume that somehow God is taken by surprise and this drought just fell upon them. Judah had assumed all along that God was obligated to help them regardless of their own actions. The temple is here. You are in our midst Somehow you can't leave us like this. But God responds in verse 10. Thus says the Lord concerning this people, They have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. God is rejecting the appeal. And it was presumptuous to think that God will respond when they lived apart from God, 
and then they could call upon him at any time to fix the circumstance. By shamelessly pursuing foreign gods, they rejected God, and now God was rejecting them. He was punishing Judah for their sins. God is not ignoring them. He's actively punishing them. In verse 11, the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. For the third time, God tells Jeremiah not to pray for these people. This was not a refusal just to hear the prayers or indifferent or uncompassionate. God knew that their hearts were hardened, and they were not going to change, even if he intervened. Perhaps they continued to observe rituals and offerings, but there was no change of heart. F.B. Huey writes, No ritual expression of repentance moves God. The drought they were experiencing, the drought they were having now, was only the beginning of the calamities. Look at verse 12. They will be consumed by sword, famine, and pestilence. Verse 13. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Well, you got to like the false prophets, telling Judah exactly what they wanted to hear. Jeremiah wanted to place the blame on the shoulders of the false prophets who were promoting a lasting peace, refuting everything God was speaking through Jeremiah. Well, can the people be blamed for following them? Let's look at verse 14. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy on my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land, by sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out on their evil, pour out their evil upon them. God agrees these false prophets were indeed a problem. He never sent them, he never called them to speak, and they are deceitful and spouting nonsense from their own deluded minds most likely for profit, they will meet the same end that they were predicting would never happen. A prophet has no authority when he speaks on his own. The people who listened to them, who had their ears tickled by what they had to say, would suffer the same fate as sword, famine, and pestilence. Their bodies will remain unburied, a horrible outcome for someone from Israel. The people chose the life that they wanted to live and then cheered on the false prophets that told them exactly what they wanted to hear. Verse 17. You shall say to them this word, Let my eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound, with a very grievous blow. If I go out into the field, behold those pierced by the sword. If I enter the city, behold the diseases of famine. 
for both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land and have no knowledge. Here is a dirge about the calamity of Judah. It may be a little uncertain where this dirge was coming from, either God or Jeremiah. However, the context is, you shall say to them, leads us to believe that God is speaking. He's sorry for his people. Judah will be shattered. People outside the city will be killed by the sword, and those inside the walls of the city, disease and starvation will be suffered by everyone. The outcome of a city under siege is not pretty. The false prophets and clueless priests were misleading the people. Verse 19, Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but no good come. For a time of healing, but behold terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, O God, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Again, we have the question of the identity of the speaker. Probably Jeremiah again speaking on behalf of the people, but using what terms that the people may have used. It is interesting that obligations are named that God should have for them, but not what obligations that they should have towards God. God does not loathe Zion. They have no peace, no healing, and terror because of their actions for generations when God was calling for them to turn back to him. In verse 20, they acknowledge their wickedness and they have sinned against God, but that needs to come with repentance. It is disingenuous to ask God not to break a covenant that he never broke, but Judah had. God is fulfilling the covenant he made with his people, and if they forsook him, and when after other gods a calamity befalling them is exactly as it is spelled out in the covenant that we read in Deuteronomy. God will have mercy. He will bring his people back after 70 years of captivity when they turn back to God finally, and that generation that's going into captivity will be gone. Verse 22. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain, or can the heavens give showers, Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. Jeremiah knew that God was their only hope, but the people refused to turn to him. Only God can bring rain. Jeremiah is expressing his faith on behalf of Judah, but the people do not share his beliefs. God takes sin seriously, and there is a time when enough is enough. We read in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, verse 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You know, in our next episode 28, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 15, and we'll be reviewing God's unrelenting judgment coming to Judah. I encourage you to please like and share this podcast if you've learned something new about God's Word. May God bless you this day.